0: Thank you for listening to the healthcare podcast with Dr. Kay and Lindsay, where we aim to uncover the myths of modern healthcare to help families discover cost transparency, improved access and innovation. Dr. John Kaiser is a practicing OBGYN and the president of Salser Health. And Lindsay Heiner is a healthcare advocate and a mother of four kids. Now let's talk healthcare.
1: Welcome back, Lindsay. Hey, thanks so much,
0: Dr. Kaiser. Good to see you. Yes.
1: Um, I think we have a great topic today. Uh, I think it'll be very interesting for many. And we have a couple of great uh, people to give us good inside information today. So I'm looking forward to the conversation.
0: Yeah, we're carrying on with the kind of theme of teen health. And we're talking about something that impacts teen athletes. And that's concussions. Yes. So we have with us today... um, We have with us a former BSU football player, Matt Kaiserman, and he suffered a career-ending injury, a concussion during... Was it an important game?
2: Uh, Yeah, it was the uh, 2010 bowl game against the University of Utah in Las Vegas. Wow.
0: Wow. Okay. And we have with us as well, Dr. Byron Knowles. He's a pediatrician here with Salter. Correct. Good to be here. Yeah. Thanks for coming in. So... um, what, let's just hear a little bit about your story, uh, Matt, what what was your role on the team? How did it happen? Kind of give us, give us a little background on that.
2: Yeah. So a, a little bit of a, I won't make it too long and drawn out, but uh, you know, local kid grew up here in Nampa, went to Skyview High School and uh, uh, actually, you know, in, in looking back probably received a, a couple of concussions there um, that really went Either you know undiagnosed or you know I just didn't really know what I was looking at, um, and then got into college. Kind of had a, a little bit of an injury riddled career with a broken leg and then um, a, a couple of concussions there. One of which, which was in practice, relatively minor hit, but held me out for you know better part of several months. Mm-hmm. Uh, came back from that and then uh, played the, the entire next year. Got the last game. It actually would have been the last play that I would have been in on. Um, played running back and special teams. This was on a, a, a kickoff and, uh, I think late in the fourth quarter, maybe third quarter, uh, can't recall. Um, uh, was just running down the field. The runner kind of cut up the sideline and I kind of rerouted myself and started heading back up the field kind of from where I came and, and somebody uh, on the university of Utah's team kind of missed their initial block, I believe, and kind of rounded back and kind of had a clear blindside shot on me and, and uh, really kind of ear hold me and helmet went flying and Mm. quite the dramatic scene. I was uh, out cold for a couple Mm. of, couple of minutes um, and uh, ended up having to leave the game. But, from there, my, my symptoms persisted for months and months and months. And, and eventually, you know, working with athletic training staff, team doctors, my, uh, my new wife at the time, uh, bless her heart having to watch that in the, in the stands, uh, parents and all that, we, we finally made the call that, uh, it was time to hang it up.
0: Um, so how was the coaching and the medical staff throughout that process? Like, uh, what was that experience like? What What was their advice? What were they What were you working towards? Uh, how did they make that decision that this is This is it.
2: Yeah, I think we were at that time kind of right on the cusp of when we were just now starting to pay more and more attention to the injury. Yeah, um, I remember in high school, there were, uh, I, I remember guys getting pretty dinged up and, and, uh, having concussions and, and there was some general awareness. They were held out, but there wasn't this kind of focus on it that there was. And there, and there wasn't a lot of tools to deal with it. Once I got to Boise state, you know, that I, um, I think the, uh, the, the coaching staff, the, the athletic trainers to, Phenomenal job uh, with the information um, that they had available to them, right? So I was taken out. um, Really didn't have a lot to do as far as physical activity. I think there was a lot of sensitivity to my situation and a lot of patience uh, with allowing me to take as much time as it needed. So from that perspective, um, you know, really grateful for the the staff there. Uh, And it was actually you know Mark Paul, who's still the head athletic trainer there. He was the one that really made the the call to pull the plug. Um, I remember going through that, uh, meeting with, uh, my parents and team docs and coach Pete was there and, and we just kind of, were talking about options and they initially, you know, we, we thought, you know, we'll kind of break if you will, and take some time to just kind of think about it. Um, and with me, it, there was kind of a pattern that somewhat was starting to emerge, right? So maybe I could have come back, but all we had was this kind of pattern where, um, you know, in practice, I took a relatively minor hit, kept me out a number of months. Then I took a big hit, kept me out even longer. You know, I mean, we're talking six months of no physical activity and, and trying to, you know, deal with schoolwork and everything on top of that. Um, and so, for whatever reason, I'm susceptible to the injury. Uh, my symptoms were getting worse, and you know, the conclusion, and rightfully so, was yeah. you know, we 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 had to call it quits. And it was Mark Paul that I'll credit with that, you know, good decision at the end of the day, having my uh, long-term um, kind of needs in mind. Right.
0: Yeah. Long-term. Yeah. And Dr. Knowles, what is a concussion?
3: So a concussion is a <clears throat> traumatic brain injury. I think that's one good way to think about yeah. it because a lot of us grow up when we're playing sports and doing various things. And until the last 10 years or so, a lot of times concussions when you we were young was, Oh, you're concussed. You can get back in and play. But that's changed a lot. But it truly should be thought of as a traumatic brain injury. <clears throat> um, if concussion is more what we would consider on a mild traumatic brain injury, but it does come with symptoms. Um, but when I am talking to my patients that come into clinic and we're assessing them and evaluating them for concussion, I talk to them. It's basically like brain bruising. That's mm-hmm. what you need to think of it as.
0: And does it cause permanent brain damage?
3: So there's a lot of uh, talk about that currently. it It's such a variable case-by-case basis for the individual that it's hard to discuss whether your concussion is going to lead to ultimately to you having difficulties in the future. And it varies patient to patient. Concussions vary from injury to injury, um, case by case. And so like Matt was talking about some what you would think were minor hits can lead to some significant symptoms and more obvious ones like the injury that he suffered, uh, in the bowl game are more obvious with loss of consciousness, but even those minor injuries and the focus on the, uh, traumatic brain injuries now with uh, concussions starting to come more into view, but we don't have clear definitive evidence of how it's going to play out over time for people. We're just kind of in the early stages of gathering that information and studies.
1: Yeah. It seems like, you know, we've gotten a lot more information on concussions than what we used to have. And it used to be, uh, it's a concussion. That's not an injury. Go back in there. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, do you think it, it really has changed when you, when you're outside of the college or professional ranks in high schools and and other kind of scenarios, is it really taken seriously? And is there good, good types of protocols put in place to help protect people from more significant injuries?
3: I would say kids who are participating in sports now are more aware. Certainly their coaching staff and parents, I would say, are much more aware. And this is probably just within the last 15 years, I would say prior to that early 2000s, 90s, not as much. Uh, there are various protocols that people can have in place, but there's no like one set definitive protocol that people use across the board, (coughs) excuse me. Um, there are various ways of doing it, but it's really about education for (coughs) parents, coaches, and most importantly for the student athletes or even participants in this, uh, when we're talking about brain injury and concussion, this can go for anybody. You're talking toddlers participating in sports. You're talking about early elementary age kids, junior high, high school. We have a tendency to get focused on high school collegiate athletes, professionals, but truly it's uh, everybody. Yeah. And sports
1: also, I mean, so a significant number of sports. We always think about football as, as yeah, a big correct. one
3: and any activity, and it's oh, not yeah. just limited to your sporting activities. It's any activity that yeah. can have a traumatic brain injury.
2: With. Yeah. And, and I'll, I'll chime in here to, to give hopefully not too much background on myself, but so, uh, after my career ended, I had the kind of unique opportunity to kind of speak about concussions in the community, talk about my experience and, and through that opportunity actually got connected uh with uh um uh Dr. Fari Caroline Fari over at Idaho State University and and I actually have a political science background and so we worked together with kind of building a coalition and passing uh Idaho's youth concussion bill um back in I think it was 2012 or so um and so with that kind of ushered in at least in Idaho and and this has kind of been done state to state uh we actually partnered with the NFL on that particular piece of legislation but it kind of ushered in uh an new era if you were and a lot more awareness throughout the state because it mandates education for parents and student athletes on an annual basis it mandates training for coaches and referees i think every two years and then it it does require middle schools and schools to follow a a, a protocol for identifying and removing athletes from play and then making sure that they see an appropriate health care provider to return to play and then we went back and um passed a a subsequent piece kind of added on to it to implement a a return to learn function, just Mm -hmm. to kind of note the importance of there's a lot of focus and interest on getting students, uh student athletes back on the field, but there has to be equally, if not greater so, uh focus on getting them integrated back into the classroom because this is a brain injury. It's it's a functional injury and and a lot of these kids need some sort of accommodation to be able to to do that successfully. Mm
0: So how how is how does that look when they're trying to what is that accommodation to get back into school who's helping them out with that and um
2: a lot of times it um it, you know the parent will will go and uh, meet with you know school officials um it might be uh, the nurse or the counselor or whoever's yeah. kind of um uh, identified at the school, uh, they'll work with the teachers to identify certain accommodations that are reasonable. Oftentimes, they're working in conjunction with the healthcare provider. Right. that will provide some recommendations. It might be as simple as let the kid out of class five minutes early, so they don't have to deal with mm-hmm. the hustle and bustle in the hallway, and they can make it to their class in a timely fashion and not have to deal with all of the kind of uh, noise, if you will, right. that, that goes on. Or it might be you know, they, they, they're good for a couple hours spurt and then they need a 15 minute break. I mean, there's some really just common sense things. Other times with more significant injuries, you know, if kids are being held out, um, sometimes they can work on, you know, their homework load or allowing them to kind of eliminate some of the maybe non-essential work and focus more on tests or, or certain
1: types of activities that make a little more sense just given the situation. Yeah. Do you know why uh, some people are more prone to injuries than others? Do you have any ideas or it's just individual?
3: It's a case by case basis. There are some people, if you look at uh, professional athletes that they've gone through time who have very similar exposures, some struggle mightily with it and others can have a pretty normal life, normal Hmm. career. So it's the thing that's tricky when you're dealing with these things is that it is an individual response to how you're doing. Um so it's really hard to say that.
0: So if I have a kid playing sports, a young kid, I'm a 10-year-old, he's playing basketball. And at what point would I need to be concerned about concussion? If he's fallen, maybe he's taken a charge and hit his head, or he's hit his head against another player or something like that. When is the point when you need to be concerned as a parent and what do you need to look for?
3: So with concussion and traumatic brain injury, there are some clear-cut signs that will be obvious to many people and then the harder part is that there's more subtle symptoms that require the individual to tell you how they're feeling. So, some very clear ones would be any loss of consciousness, like Matt suffered during his injury. That's a clear you're yeah. done for that time frame, and you need to be evaluated. Um, if you have any significant altered mental status, where you are not responding appropriately, got uh, amnesia type symptoms, nausea and vomiting. Those are the more clear and obvious symptoms that people can see. But there are more subtle symptoms as well that often require the person who suffered the injury to tell you that. And those are going to be the types of concussions that are still problematic and have their potential to be danger, but are harder to identify. Uh, Sometimes subtle symptoms that parents or coaches will notice is the individual might not be responding quite as quickly. They're not as um, quick to respond in speech patterns. Their balance might be off. It might seem a little mildly dazed or confused. Those are some more subtle symptoms. And then there's just the symptoms that you wouldn't notice at all, which is the person feels a certain way. You outwardly can't tell how they're Mm -hmm. feeling, except for they tell you, you'll hear phrases like, I feel like I'm in a fog, kind of not focusing on things very well, headache, you know, my head hurts. Um, not feeling you'll hear them say they don't feel like themselves. Uh, those types of symptoms but nobody on from the outside will be able to notice those symptoms without the individual reporting them yeah but that still is a concussive symptom and there's a lot of different symptoms with it
2: yeah and i I would say from a is a parent myself from the perspective of a parent i think I think we're getting over this mentality, but there's always kind of the mentality of, you know, kids not wanting to come out of the game. They don't want to let the team down, you know, all of those things. And so there, some of these injuries are, um, uh, you know, go un, underreported. Um, I think the biggest thing is, you know, you as a parent, you know, even the coaches that spends, uh, a, quite a bit of time with, with the, uh, with the athlete, they're the ones that kind of know the athlete the best right they kind of know the nuances they know the personality and if you know subtle changes in personality or you know if if your kid just seems a little off i mean it, it's worth a conversation to to understand kid, did something happen and if so you know talk to me about what you're feeling and, and having an, a little more of an in-depth conversation because you, you don't know where it might lead
3: and that's the tricky part with concussions you can have clear and obvious symptoms mm-hmm. moderate <laughs> symptoms that you'll probably see To no symptoms other than what the kid will report to you, and that's where everybody being aware of that there's a possibility of concussion across that whole spectrum that you need to be paying attention to. Because if you are concussed and returning to play, you're putting yourself at risk.
0: Could could the uh, if you do return to play um, and you're not ready, um, could another concussion potentially be even worse?
3: Yes. If you haven't significantly recovered from your previous episode, it does put you at significant risk. The, the, when I'm evaluating my patients and clearing them and talking about returning to play and that sort of stuff, I always caution my families about uh, what's called second impact syndrome. It's the big thing that we worry about the most. And that is when an uh, individual has suffered a concussion that they have not yet fully recovered from, and they suffer a subsequent concussion. And this can be a minor incident, but they have another uh, hip bump, something that causes them a second injury. And they can suffer from second impact syndrome, which is when the brain loses its control of intracranial pressures, uh, mm-hmm. cerebrospinal fluid, and blood flow issues. And it can lead to very acute, rapid onset brain swelling and ultimately death. Mm-hmm. And you definitely want to avoid that. So that's where we well, press when I'm talking to my families, I tell them if we are still having symptoms of concussion, you really do not want to return for the risk of having this happen. That's the big bad outcome, but there's other things. Yeah, and,
2: and I would say uh, along with that is second impact syndrome really is incredibly rare, right? Yeah, I mean, very. it's, it's kind of the one in the mil- in, in a million type odds, but that being said, Um, it has happened. It's, it's happened in Idaho. Um, and, uh, and, and the, you know, if you do survive it, you're going to be severely impaired for the rest of your life. So on, on one hand, I think it's important for parents in particular to not, you know, get too hung up on that or freaked out about it because it is incredibly rare on the, on the, on the other hand, it, it does go to show that on the kind of flip side of that coin, it's really important to pay attention to signs and symptoms, and may, make sure you, that your kid is fully recovered before they resume. Because, yes, there there are c- catastrophic <laughs> consequences that could happen. Um, hopefully, they don't. Typically, they won't. Um, but you know, that's the that's the nature of the injury.
0: Yeah, and that's why oh, I was just gonna say that's why it can't be like a you know no pain no gain get back right, in the game right, like you exactly, just right. you can't be like that anymore. You yeah. have to take this very seriously.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, so one one your pa- no, sorry. so one of your patients comes in and. Uh, suffered something, uh, didn't go back in, didn't get the the next injury, uh, but are still feeling kind of off? How how do you evaluate them? What testing do you do at the next stages?
3: So there are various tests that you can use. There's some, like, uh, for example, when I was first out of training, I was accustomed to using the uh, SCAT Mm -hmm. uh, training one, which is the sports concussion assessment tool. There's other ones that are in place as well. They're a pretty big laundry list of symptomatic reporting stuff. Yeah. And they, they can be a way to kind of give you some type of objective, but it can be a little difficult to make your assessments based off of that. And it's, again, it's individual-based symptom reporting. Yeah. And so for me, and there are some um, uh, programs that are out there and some of the schools use them. Not everybody does. And some doctor's offices do as well where they have computerized testing that they can do that gives you a little bit more objective information. Mm about the person's cognitive ability, balance, gait, those sorts of things. Um, But it's there's no single identified protocol that allows you to do that pre and post testing that that has clear and obvious things. But again, it's mostly symptom uh, reporting based of, you know, attention difficulties, irritability, mood, headaches, balance problems, all of those things. And that's where the good relationship of parents, coaches, teachers, physicians who know the individuals being cognizant and careful about returning them to play at an appropriate time when they're truly symptom-free and doing well. The one way that we kind of deal with that because there is so much subjective reporting on all the symptoms they're having is slow resumption of activities after they've had a concussion. So acutely after, you know, on the first day, you want to provide rest and try to give the individual time to recover. And then we try to follow a step-by-step resumption of activities that are symptom-free. So for example, you're concussed, you got school the next day it's probably a good idea that next day to not try to go to school and get right back into your mental activities we start small mental activities and if you tolerate those with zero symptoms then the next day we'll give you a try on some light activities physically so maybe some light walking if you tolerate those into some um, lighter moderate activities running that sort of stuff but at any time if you have symptoms recur we suggest that you <clears throat> take a break and uh, step back and rest because truly this is an injury. When you're thinking of your brain, it's kind of like an injury of other areas, right? You, you pull a muscle, you have a big old bruise on your thigh, you've tweaked an ankle. You don't just hop right back out there and get going when it's bothering you. You rest. And so that's the step by step resumption of activities that we get to. And then you move into more sports specific stuff. And then if you're doing well symptom-free, then you can start getting back into practice a little bit. So, But at any point, if you have a recurrence of symptoms, it's a step back down and allow your brain to recover.
2: Yeah, i kind of add to that going back to the SCAT or impact <coughs> testing, those types of um, tools that providers have at their disposal. Um so after passing concussion legislation, I had the ability to to go and work for St. Luke's in their concussion clinic. And so they had the great opportunity to work with schools and help implement some impact testing, different things like that. I think the th- important thing to uh, particularly for parents and athletes uh, to recognize is those are uh, like Dr. Knowles mentioned. Those are kind of there's no one kind of uh, silver bullet, if you yeah. will, yeah. they're tools in a toolbox. And so I think a lot of people have misgivings about, uh, or misunderstanding about these tests and thinking that, okay, as soon as I pass, you know, that so I'm going to sure. take an impact test before the season, mm-hmm. when I'm asymptomatic, it's going to show score, whatever the score is. Yeah. Right. I get a concussion then I take the test again and we start measuring you against your baseline. Well, as soon as I'm at my baseline, I should be good. Right. Well, not necessarily. Um, you can still be symptomatic, still pass an impact test. They're really useful tools, and, and absolutely have some clinical validity, uh, but they're not the end all, be all. And so, that's really important for parents to to keep that in mind as they're they're using those.
0: And who's doing the, the impact testing in the schools and things? Is that the athletic trainers or does it get referred to the physicians or how does that work?
2: Uh depends. Uh, school to school the return to is a little play different, protocol. but typically, you know, the, the best case scenario is you have an athletic trainer there that can, yeah. uh, is trained up on the test, can administer it. And then um, best case scenario, again, is that that athletic trainer is, is partnered with a physician or, you know, some of the healthcare provider that's qualified uh, that can kind of collaborate when there is an injury. And so there's active communication between the physician and, and the athletic trainer can kind of help with the resumption of those uh, activities and kind of um, it, it really, it kind of takes a community to treat this injury is, is what we uh, used to uh, say all the time in the concussion clinic. And it, it really takes the parents, the athlete, the teachers, the coaches, the medical provider, uh, the athletic trainer all need to be kind of on the same page and communicating because it, it, it's difficult when someone walks down a hallway with a broken leg, it's, it's plain and obvious what's going on and, and people can accommodate that with a brain injury. That's functional. You just can't see it all the time. You know, sometimes the changes in the athlete, um, are, are really nuanced as, as, Dr. Knowles mentioned. So it, it just proper communication amongst the team is, is incredibly important.
0: Yeah. Um, so have you seen since that time that you helped get that legislation passed, have you seen how it's changed in the Treasure Valley? Uh,
2: f- certainly. And in my time uh, at St. Luke's in their, in their uh, concussion clinic, you know, it really was my job um, coming off of the legislation uh, to help schools, one, understand what the legislation was because it ha- came out with new mandates for them. And, and I was really the you know kind of the community resource to help them. Uh, become educated, comply, and provide tools and resources um, to kind of build their protocols and, and, and their programs. Um, and in that time, from the time that I was, you know, in, in Pee Wee football to uh, you know going through the concussion clinic and helping these types of organizations, whether it's Optimist football or or local high schools, implement. I, I think we've seen a, a huge shift um, in one, the awareness and education. People are just much more cognizant of the injury what it is that it is serious. And when they uh, start
0: when they're a little kid playing like, they'll exactly. have like an athletic trainer come and present yeah. to them or the coach will be trained in this so they'll be aware. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. So and there's a number of resources out there so you could, you know, have someone like me that would come out and and speak to a group. Yeah. Um and, and and educate. There's resources with the CDC that that people can leverage and all sorts of videos and and programs out there that can train our coaches and referees and, and all of that. I think one, you can definitely see the change in, uh, the parents, um, their awareness level. I think the student athletes and their awareness level. And I think there's a greater understanding that, um, from student athletes that, that there are, can be, um, uh, significant repercussions, not just physical, but even just social. I mean, a lot of times when people are, are, you know, taken off their team, having to rest uh, not going to school. I mean, there's a whole lot of different dynamics that can go on. So I think there's more recognition of that. The other thing I'd say is, is that we have been successful, uh, not just in Idaho, but nationally, I think in changing the way in which we approach sports. So, you know, you get, you know, the NFL, that's starting to change rules to eliminate, uh, kickoffs or some of these blindside hits, penalizing them more. That's, that's one example. And another example, more local and kind of close to home is, is, you know, just the drills and the types of, uh, practices that coaches are running. Uh, when I was in PB football, it, you know, it was still kind of that rub some dirt on it mentality. We're going to line people up and we're going to crack heads and, and the strong man wins, right? They don't do that anymore, right? They're, they're very, uh, cognizant of how much kids are hitting. The types of hitting they're doing, they're teaching appropriate technique, all of those fundamental skills. I think, you know, there's, there's, although technology is, is starting to catch up with new and improved helmets, um, some of the biggest prevention is, is around fundamental techniques and teaching kids how to hit, how to tackle do it in a safe way where to position your head, all of those types of things. And that's is going to do more than a lot of things out there to, to curb the the instance, uh, of, uh, concussion in youth sports.
3: And I've yeah. noticed too, that they've, there's been an, uh, you know, we still have our contact leagues when it comes to football, but there's been an increase in flag football for younger mm-hmm. players because much of football, when you're young, uh, You know, you can learn there's so much coordination and choreography associated with it and planning that really that's the more difficult part of football and not necessarily just the tackling component. And when we're talking about these types of injuries, it's those impacts that are the more uh, problematic issue. So, you know, having seven, eight year olds out there with pads and helmets on hitting each other. Is that really necessary? Does that teach them much or can you, can they actually learn how to tackle when they're? 12 13 14 years old and so you're seeing an increase in that and you know i think there's more awareness about the repetitive components of it, your and your increased exposures right if you're out there doing it way more yeah you're going to have way more risk because you just are flat out putting it out there the exposure more frequently and you know when we're talking about concussions uh, rightfully so we have a tendency to focus on football because of its you know violent impact nature that you see all the time but remember This is any sport and this is any type of injury. Like what
1: about soccer? I mean, you think about soccer? Yeah. So for
3: for, um, males, the number one leading cause for concussion is football. But for females, it's soccer Soccer, by far and away. Um, But there are others too, you know, hockey, field hockey, lacrosse. But even basketball, volleyball, you name it—it's all of those sports. In, in the- well,
2: yeah, I mean, we've seen it in swimming. I've, oh, I've seen God. one in golf. I just, oh, that's impossible. I, it, well, <laughs> one, one wayward thing. drive, <laughs> and, and, and uh, we've, we've you know, uh, yeah, oh, we're, seen we're, you we <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah,
2: working at the concussion clinic, you. Uh, you know, you're always obviously careful about uh, protective health information, but you often had stories yeah. come out of, you know, this or this happened. And, and, uh, so you, you got to understand some of the statistics behind it. And so, I mean, yeah, golf and volleyball, and yeah. I mean, you name it, if people can get, uh, you can be active doing it, you can get a concussion. Yeah. I mean, skateboarding and yeah. motocross, yeah. I mean, all of those, I mean, yeah.
0: Yeah. I, I have a friend whose daughter is 12, but she can't, she plays soccer, but she can't do header Is that yeah. was called yeah. until she's 13. Right. Oh, so that's right. a new thing.
1: Yeah. Um, Which makes sense. Yeah. I mean, right.
0: So as a parent, and that's kind of like what you
1: said, you yeah. can, you can do certain things in the game and how you play the game mm-hmm. to maybe decrease some of the risks yeah. associated with it. Yeah. yeah.
3: And have you ever headed a soccer ball before?
0: No, I, no, I don't play soccer. Yeah.
3: They're like rocks. Yeah. Like, and then and they can come from a far distance. <laughs> yeah. And the other thing too, is that when you got people going up, trying to head together, there there's usually two people coming together. And so they're both trying to snap their head towards the ball, right? And they're, they knock skulls together. As That's well. not a good strategy.
0: Yeah. just
3: saying.
0: <laughs> Are you going to let your kids play football?
2: Yeah, you know, um, <laughs> I get asked that question a lot. Yeah. And, uh, I'll, I'll say this and, uh, and I'll also say that with if, if there's more different evidence that comes out, I reserve the right to change my mind. But for for right now where we're at, um, I think the the research is still evolving. We're still learning more and more, uh, about this injury, how to treat it. There's going to be, you know, new techniques that come out in the future, uh, which, which I'm su- sure of that being said, I, I think just given, uh, more awareness, uh, appropriate education, uh, we can stem a lot, uh, kind of head off a lot of the issues that I experienced as an athlete, just, just with that awareness in and of itself. The other thing I would say is, you know, football in particular, but, but, but sports more broadly, um, has so much that it can offer young people Mm -hmm. by way of, you know, um, just skills. Life skills that it teaches you uh, opportunities that stem from um, engaging in those types of activities the the leadership you know uh, lessons and, and life lessons that you learn from that there's so much to be gained from that uh, that if my kids want to play i'm I'm going to let them play um, and I certainly don't want to hold them back from being able to have the same opportunities that that I did that being said um, I may uh, take the liberty of maybe not letting them play quite as early. Um, you know, that's for each individual parent to kind of consider and, and, uh, uh, work through on their own what, what works best, but maybe flag football for, for a while initially, um, is the way to go. So, uh, my kids are young enough. I still have a few more years to figure (laughs) that out, but, but right now, yes, I, I would, I would let them play. Yeah.
3: Dr. Knowles. I actually am on that same wavelength, uh, as my kids get older and I've got young kids as well. Um, you know, if they're motivated and it's what they want to do and they're really, uh, feel strong about it, you just have to weigh the risks versus the benefits of what they're choosing to do. And we do that with everything in our lives every day when you hop in the car and drive down the road. But, um, Understanding that you know, with any type of activity, there's always inherent risks with those, and so you have to weigh that as an individual. But I do find that there are some kids who, in that I see uh, in clinics sometimes, where they're highly motivated, and it's a place where they're like Matt was talking about that they're you know have leadership and acceptance and a social structure, and and it actually is mentally helpful for them to participate in that activity and you have to weigh that against the risk of injury associated with it so for me if my kids are highly motivated and it's what they want to do i'm likely to support it again and, and i agree with the uh, reserving the right to change <laughs> that if if we do the the issue with it is, is we just don't have clear evidence about the risks going forward i think it's going to take some time to really determine that but yeah it's a it's a personal individual decision that families and parents have to make, but we are seeing a, a, a decline in football participation. And I think you're noticing, mm-hmm. and that probably goes with this uh, education that you're seeing is that there are across the board, pretty sig- uh, significant declines in the number of people who are participating in contact football.
1: Mm-hmm. Anything else that we didn't cover yet that you think is important for us to mention?
3: Um, I would say, uh, the other thing that you'll hear a lot of people talking about in, uh, these types of discussions is chronic traumatic encephalopathy or CTE. Yeah. That's a buzzword you hear all the time in the news, um, particularly with, uh, professional athletes yeah. and, uh, outcomes and those sorts of things. Uh, the thing that I tell people about cte is it's slightly different it, from the concussion discussion we've been having but concussions kind of fit in the realm of it and it's comes from any type of repetitive uh, uh head banging or as even traumas that you wouldn't really consider uh, that significant but it's that repetitive blows to the head that can over time build up um and those can include things that cause what we call sub concussive symptoms where you don't have the classic symptoms of concussion so examples would be like football players practicing in football, people in soccer heading uh, the ball frequently, uh, boxers, other people that are frequently getting jolted um, over time that it's they're beginning to think that that repetitive exposure can cause some form of brain dysfunction as you get older that's an it's pretty early and it's uh evidence-based um but that's a risk as well Mm. the thing to know with though with is there's no there's no imaging way to diagnose it right now there's no uh ways to like take pictures and see a person's brain and uh, diagnose it while they're still alive it's a post-mortem type of diagnosis and it doesn't have and again this goes back to the individual case-by-case thing you have people who have very similar backgrounds and exposures and repetitive blows to the head and some people i mean you you can look at some boxers who go their whole life and you talk to a heavyweight that's in their 70s and they're totally fine and totally with it and you see another one that's obviously had some really significant problems from it (laughs) interesting yeah cool well, parent.
0: yeah, thanks so much. All yeah. these, all these um, things for parents to look for are so important. Mm-hmm. The education that you've been working on for so many years to help people in the area understand, appreciate that. And I'm yeah. glad that it's making a difference and um, it's going to provide uh, a better environment for our kids to play sports. And then just appreciate all the emphasis on return to play and how parents can focus on that and, and make sure that their kids are in a good spot and understand the risks involved. So, um, thanks so much for coming in, guys. Yeah, thank you very much. You've been listening to the Healthcare Podcast with Dr. K and Lindsay. Join us again for our next episode as we work toward increasing understanding and transparency in healthcare.